0: back to another episode of Mangum Reads. This time I'm broadcasting you from the off coast of North Carolina, but besides that small difference, I'm Spencer and with me as always are BJ and Sarah. How y'all doing?
1: I'm good, although I am, I am upset that the hurricane has harried the alliteration right out of you, Spencer.
0: <laughs> I enjoyed that you guys are willing to pick up that banner so quickly. <laughs>
2: Yeah, well, hopefully the uh, harrowing experience of uh, spending vacation won't won't do you in too badly. How do you feel, uh, Spencer, being uh, back in your native state of North Carolina, or sort of native state?
0: Well, as per tradition, I'm wearing that sh- that blue shirt that's got the uh, picture of North Carolina with home written on it. So uh, that reminds
1: me where I am.
2: That's important.
1: So you oh. look down at your shirt and you see Kentucky. Ah.
0: <laughs> you know. Well, I'm never gonna look at this shirt the same way again. <laughs> never realized that. Why is Kentucky saying M B W O Y? Okay, now my my world is shattering before me. Thank you, Sarah.
1: One well, more beso- service I provide, Spencer. Well, yeah. Besides,
0: utterly disturbing I mean... the reality by which I manifest in. Uh, this week we are talking about a story which is also about jumping through different realities with it a is. witch's guide to escape, a practical compendium of portal fantasies, which is easily the most interesting title of any story we've read so far in this program
2: i feel like it's kind of in line with uh your authentic indian experience tm mm-hmm.
1: um
2: it, it, it feels, is
1: it, it feels a little potter too in the sort of textbooky way
0: it is a lot of interesting comparisons to potter uh bj you had a nice summary of, the, of our titles for this week and that we're doing how'd you, how did you put it we're doing witches one week and
2: uh which is on monday and wizarding uh world on wednesday yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Um so Sarah, um I feel like you just said something, ended it and just left it there thinking that I would not take this up. And okay. I really want want to know what you meant by it's like Harry Potter titles in a textbook sort of way.
1: I mean it is not unlike the sort of textbooks that are listed in Harry Potter periodically. Okay. Yes. Okay. Now I understand. Yeah, I didn't mean it is like a a textbook example of Gotcha something harry potter-esque simply the the kind of cadence of the title itself
2: which makes sense i mean i feel like this author has done her fair share of reading through harry potter um Mm -hmm. and as uh one other uh i think one other short story we read this did win both the nebula and the hugo for uh best short story um and amusingly was a finalist for three other uh Awards. The only one that I'm familiar of is the Locus Award. And it's kind of funny that it's like it won the Nebula and the Hugo, but didn't win the Locus. And now I really feel like I should look up what the Locus, who won the Locus Award that year. Um, and just like, why do you think you're better or different?
1: <laughs> so what what is the Locus supposed to do? Like, what is the criteria or what are the types of books or stories? I'm sorry, that are in the Locus and not as opposed to Nebula or Hugo.
0: I think it's just purely a different competing thing for the same category, the same way the Nebula I and the Hugo so. are. Okay,
1: okay. I didn't <laughs> know if there was some like we tend to favor X Y Z kind of well, stories.
0: As we've as we've seen and discussed, the science fiction field is remarkably balkanized. So I can see why mm-hmm. there can be several competing awards for the exact same industry.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and uh, I wonder if they do things slightly differently. Um, because there was a, were, there was a short story that won, uh, for the Locust Awards, which was competing against, uh, this short story, which I didn't, which I think was on a different list in the Nebula. Um, but anyway. Well,
0: BJ, you'd originally recommended this to the group. How'd you come across this story?
2: Uh, well, very, very simply. Uh, the Hugo Awards came out, and I looked at Short Story, and it had a link, so it meant that I could read it immediately. I did, and I, as soon as I finished the story, it was a, I need to force Sarah to read this story, <laughs> and the easiest and fastest way I know to do that is to say, this is what we should read for our podcast.
1: Yeah, you make it homework, and it will get done.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, I have a feeling that maybe even without it being homework given the title and that it's a short story you would have read it anyway Mm -hmm. and also had I given I think I did give you the tag of but maybe I just described it of um, there have only ever been two kinds of librarians in histories the prudish the bitter ones with lipstick running into the cracks around their lips who believe that books are their personal property and patrons are dangerous delinquents come to steal them and witches
1: and i will say that that is the line that i have used to describe this story to everyone i have talked to about it sort of since then
2: yeah i i've feel like the the number of really great lines in this uh, short story sort of makes me want to bring back, like, favorite line or scene from, mm-hmm. from our book and, and go back and do that. Yeah. Um, but we'll see if we... We'll have to decide if we want that to be a recurring thing, but I feel like, at least for this uh, short story, that, that that's a uh, a thing that I want to come back to.
1: Yeah. Maybe Maybe we can get there.
2: Yeah. yeah. One of the things I loved about this was that she was going through real... Bo-
0: as I said, this title was remarkably deceptive to me. Where he said, "Let's read this and look at the sound." I went, oh, that sounds awesome! Immediately followed it with, "It's about librarians," and I had no <laughs> idea what to expect going forward with this story. But I quite enjoyed it. I loved as well that as you go through a story, it, the chapters almost structured based on what books and characters are providing. To, uh, our secondary Uh that they are real books, with their own with their own commentary on, on them. And I love that, that there
1: Spencer. <laughs> Yeah, I that, guess that, that is that the what, first that,
0: question. That wasn't it.
1: Okay. Okay. Um, ahead, I, I love, well, I was just going to say, I love that um, kind of at the beginning of these section headings too, they are listed as sort of library entries, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so you get the sort of location call number on them too, which is like really puts you right in the library, um, which is super cool.
2: Yeah, I was, I was going to ask like, because... I realized what these were but it Mm -hmm. didn't like mean as much to me because I probably haven't spent time in a library since um back in the days when you actually had to photocopy uh journals Hmm. um yeah I mean like I've been to like (laughs) I I guess I haven't really been to like a public library other than to get my library card so I could get ebooks on my kindle and I feel like this is somewhat of a downfalling but um but yeah, it just didn't put me as much in mind of a library, but like I got what she was saying. Mm-hmm. And so like, I feel like I miss a little bit because sometimes it's a little Dewey decimal-ish and I don't know what that is offhand, even though I feel like I should. Um, and so I'm glad yeah. that it spoke to you more.
1: I don't know what the system is um, that they're using. I don't think it's Dewey decimal. It's something... Public library E, because it's also not even like a university library system that I've seen. But <laughs> sidebar, I did just find out like last week that getting my new library card let me get Kindle books to borrow. Um, so this yeah. is a new thing in my life, which I'm very excited about. But it does also mean that I am now reading the like Booker Prize winner from last year, and it's the first hard book that I've read um, since I graduated. So <laughs> it's been like a little, a little rough. Alright, well,
0: let's get into the story itself and see where we go with
1: Yeah, sounds good. So I do wanna start. Um, our first head section heading, our first sort of book listed is a book called The Runaway Prince, which is a perfect segue to my cocktail for the evening. Um, so I am drinking a and I'm on a sort of bad run with these cocktails and things that mm-hmm. I don't like. Um, but I'm essentially drinking a dark and stormy, so I have rum and um a ginger beer that is called a cock and bowl ginger beer, uh, partially because I thought that, you know, our kind of secondary character here is a little bit of a dark and stormy teenager. um, But I am also redubbing this dark and stormy to be the runaway prince in honor of the (laughs) runaway prince.
0: Uh, Well, I must say, is it any more successful than the black hole turned out to be?
1: No. Really? No, the ginger beer is really good. I just really don't like rum. Uh, Well, that'll do it. Yeah. So this is my second rum drink that I've had on this show that, you know, great. I think
0: think we're learning something valuable here about let's find alternatives to rum for drinks for you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But then I can't make it the Rum Away Prince.
0: The things you sacrifice for us, Sarah, it it, it warms the heart. You're welcome. The story opens with a librarian basically observing, as you said, a teen that's in need of help in a variety of ways and mm-hmm. she is a librarian in a way that I was not aware that librarians were capable of is eminently aware of what he needs when it comes to a book and over the course of this story structured by chapters she is trying to provide him what he needs what guidance what world what escapism she feels will help him with the situation while at the same time constrained by the various rules of I suppose we'll call it her order her coven maybe even if we want to ground it in the witches that they seem to be in that are really restrictive about what fully they can provide you. If you ultimately determine they need a particular thing that is verboten, it is not something that she's ever allowed to provide. It's something that she wars with over the course of the story.
2: And I love how like the uh witch side of the this is like the rule in, in the witch lingo. And then like we learned in grad school, um, <laughs> this is what they called it. And you know, like protecting you know people from you know the the books that that they shouldn't have because they're too powerful, and you know keeping the the old and and uh rare texts uh in intact as sort of like the the dichotomy of like the 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 balance of
1: yeah, no this was the you bring up like kind of exactly the moment b j that I might put forward as sort of one of one of the best lines, particularly as sort of like recently out of grad school. Um, is this, uh, I do my best to give people, to give people the books they need most in grad school. They called it ensuring readers have access to texts and materials that are engaging and emotionally rewarding. (laughs) And in my other kind of schooling, they called it divining the unfilled spaces of their souls and filling them with stories and starshine, but it comes to the same thing. And I was like, yeah, that's right. Except grad school. (laughs) doesn't have that like undertone of soul fulfillment. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly we need to find you a coven now at this point, Sarah, you completed
0: half your education. There's so much more remaining to be learned.
1: Listen, I'm still waiting for my Hogwarts letter.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We saved that for a different podcast. We give you as much of a link to that escapism as we can.
1: Uh,
2: Though I do appreciate that um, it was brought up in this short story. We have three books at the Uh, same time. (laughs) yes mm-hmm. harry potter and um i also was kind of amused because they don't really get good until sirius and lupin show up in i assume book three it's book three so yeah i read that no, line no, that I, did tickle me
0: i, re- I read that line and i realized i didn't know who either of those characters were and something was very concerned about what my next two three books is going to be like <laughs> but what do we learn about, um Given that he's the main character that's really actually described over the course of the story, what do we learn about this teen that the library is in? Well, thank
2: you for our first um, talking question. Uh, I'm curious if you have, like, you know, reader's guide and questions to think about in front of you. Because that definitely sounds like, you know, (laughs) notes for for a teacher that has assigned this short story for reading. No, I Um, thought of that myself, BJ. (laughs) I am am duly impressed. You would make a very good... uh, 10th grade English.
0: Let's not aim that high now. <laughs>
2: um, I, I think that she does a really good job of really painting a good three-dimensional picture with not that much in the way of description. Mm-hmm. And I, in reading this story and how she paints her characters, it sort of reminds me of um, how Jameson does her... Uh, character descriptions. Uh, Essentially, they're rarely described in, you know, maybe a couple of sentences, but how they act and sort of little tidbits that other characters understand about them is really how they're brought to life.
1: And one of the things that I really love about kind of, especially early on in this story about how those those tidbits and descriptions and kind of other characters function is that the books themselves have opinions about people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and kind of notice things about them, depending on what type of book they are and what shelf they're on. So the sort of sewing and pattern book might notice the um, sort of frayed clothing. Um, or, you know, we might have like cookbooks noticing that somebody's a little undernourished. I, like I think that's really great. And also kind of gets to the characterization of what exactly the type of power that we're talking about in this sort of second type of librarian actually is.
2: Yeah
0: it's almost like a fiddler on the roof element of where she's serving as a matchmaker between these two separate living <laughs> entities. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, ju- I actually just watched that movie for the first time relatively recently. It's in my head um no
2: worries <laughs> i i i was worried that we were getting into another sentence that you had a really good start and didn't know where it was gonna go no, towards this the had, end. this one
0: had a tie but it, it, as you said it, the library that described is described as very much a living thing the books has its own wants and desires to the point that she can take some forgotten forlorn books home with her so they don't feel absent and left out as they'll be on them and so i and, love
1: that so much yeah.
0: <laughs> the, the cookbooks that have too much lard and the encyclopedias that's the, and the, um, what was it? The uh, guides to astronomy that's still Mr. Pluto. Planet, <laughs> yeah.
2: Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I really like that. And I think what, and you get very early on the sense of the power of books and like her connection with it, because um, sort of initially when um, this uh, child, young man, uh, borrows the runaway prince she sort of tries to get him to engage and this is their first interaction and she says oh you didn't finish it but she knew that it'd been read a number of times because of the well-oiled feel of the pages and so yeah. this mm-hmm. kinship and understanding of the books that, that the librarian is learning out and that connection and how that relates to the the library patrons in general, and, and in specific, this um, young black boy. Yeah. Man, and, I don't know. Young teen. teenager. Teen.
1: Um, and to kind of get to the question you started with, Spencer, um, what do we learn about him? I think the we learn a lot of tidbits about him, which we've been kind of talking about, but the main thing that we learn about him through both this librarian sort of sensing of what an individual reader needs um, as well as her expectations of what that might be, is um, comes at the very end of this first section, or close to the end of this first section, um, where she kind of starts to sense that it's not what she expected—the sort of he just wants fantasy or teen romance or whatever. Um, But that he smelled of a thousand secret worlds of rabbit holes and hidden doorways and platforms nine and three quarters of Wonderland and Oz and Narnia of any place but here he smelled of yearning. And so this sort of sense that this kid needs everything um, that he is just like waiting to be filled up with these worlds um, is really palpable from the very beginning of this story.
2: Yeah. And she really starts talking about escapism and i feel Mm -hmm. like that leads back to our title which is the you know which is guide to escape and so she starts to understand how awful the home life of this or lack thereof of this teenager is as we sort of continue in the interaction um and starts to try and direct him and uh comfort him i guess with the books that she suggests yeah um and And
1: Go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say. So when when he next kind of co- when they when they next interact and when he next comes in, she really gets the sort of bombshell because he comes in with a caseworker, um, and she realizes that he's a foster kid. Um, and this caseworker, who I think would have a very nice second career as the first type of librarian um, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> that she mentions, immediately takes him over to these sort of self-helpy kind of books, and you can just, like, feel this woman rolling her eyes um, at what is going on in this situation. Right. She,
0: no. She's of the view that escapism is the exact worst thing that he needs, that he needs to mm-hmm. directly confront his problems, understand them, while the librarian's looking on going that escapism is not any kind of... It's just she puts it... Uh, his caseworker was one of those people who, saw, who say the word esca- escapism as if it were a moral failing, a regrettable hobby, a mental health diagnosis, as if escape is not itself one of the highest order of magics they'll ever see in their miserable mortal lives, right up there with true love and prophetic dreams and fireflies blinking in a synchrony on a June evening. Again, this is a really well-written little short story.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, I-, I also thought it was interesting because she, she does understand that escapism might not be quite right for him because uh-huh. just before that that you know she ignores Lion the Witch in the Wardrobe um, that even though it was jostling importantly on its shelf, um, <laughs> which I also really liked um, because she understood that this teenager wanted to go through the wardrobe and never come back. And so while it might have sort of been the perfect book that he wanted to read, might not be, the perfect book for him Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. he's not even i mean he he seems to understand that but but his favorite book appears to be the runaway prince which is grounded and run the same way of where the escapism is inherently temporary but you're still returning to your world in the end but as you Mm -hmm. said she's looking at him going that's the exact worst thing for him he truly wants to make take flight and never
1: um even as when he is there with the caseworker being shown these sort of like chicken soup for the depressed soul (laughs) um types of books the runaway prince just flings itself off of the library cart at his feet
0: (laughs) yeah a a living entity that wants to come home she even Mm -hmm. says it purrs at him like it's a cat jumping into his lap Mm -hmm. uh and it it helps him in that moment and continues on well i mean it's a question as well there uh that there were more than one librarian in this particular um uh what do we interpret this as? Is this a school library or a public library that's near a
2: school? I think school? this is a public library because yeah. it talks about Ulysses County, which also is in southwest Kansas, which kind of confuses me as uh, like uh, a place that this is written. Nah, but
0: I, I, I looked that up, and I don't think that's the one she's going with because they. she takes pains to say this is the south in a way I don't
2: see yeah, Kansas is. I feel like Atlanta or... Maybe more, more rural. Uh, Alabama or like a, an area like that. Sorry, Georgia or Alabama, like well, somewhere that is the South. Well, the, the author's from Kentucky, and that might work.
1: Well, and she also, um, and I can't remember exactly where it is, but at some point there's like a like relatively innocuous book that has just been banned because it has witchcraft in it. Um,
2: and that sounds like yeah. Kentucky. Spencer, look at your shirt again. Yeah, yeah I'm, star- <laughs> I'm actually staring at you saying this. <laughs> um, I also, so there's sort of a little bit of a back and forth which of this other librarian uh with the main character i, mm-hmm. I think also that the author is supposed to be a stand-in for the main character at least that's kind of how i read it um and but this o- other librarian is also of the second variety of which and so while she's sort of older and maybe disapproving of some of the uh ways that this younger librarian is going about her work she's not the terribly disapproving sort
0: mm-hmm. so it, this moment with the runaway prince is one of the first moments that we see her look on to our main character you think it's an author stand and i'll just start calling her alex um <laughs> and kind of look at her almost with a certain degree of either pity or sympathy that actively trying to assist a person in a way that's going to start butting up against where their rules and regulations prohibit because it's a, yeah
2: um, I, and I think it's also sort of a cautionary tale. I, I guess I would sort of liken this to um, doctors and nurses and vets and all of those other professions where if you get too involved with your clients, patients, you know, whatever, it can be rough. Mm-hmm. and I guess that's more how I interpret this as opposed to anything else.
0: No, that's fair. As we, as we hear over the course of the story, she's previously tried to help a girl that was in a similar situation, and it only came to tragedy for both of them. So she may be all well trying to protect her from a similar kind of harm in
2: the future. Well, she didn't help her in the same way, and it came to tragedy. Well, I don't know. She... Yeah, the
1: point is that she didn't. she helped her up to the point and didn't she... cross the line.
0: She invested personally in it.
1: Yeah. Yes. That, no, that's true. That's true.
0: I, di- I didn't um, mean turn to where she goes with this particular protagonist, with this particular uh, character.
2: As right. Point. And right. which is what my, maybe why it ended up the way. it. Anyway, um, so I feel like we've sort of been talking about the books that are then London and, and they are all sort of. Very familiar comfort books, if not mm-hmm. of things that we've either read or, or know about fairly well. Mm-hmm. Um, where sort of the previous ones, I I haven't heard of the Tavilarian Chronicles, though I feel like I should read it now. Um, <laughs> all, I think all it's, seventeen books of them. Yeah, um, <laughs> I'm also curious. Uh, I don't think it actually exists, but I do feel like this is a reference to Wheel of Time.
0: Might be. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm willing to assume all of these books exist just because so many of them I know do. Because, I mean, the next book we're going into is The Count of Monte Cristo. These sure. are very much grounded in real-world books that we're talking about. It. And it seems to have more fun when it is real books that she's constantly, you know, casting little sideways glances at. I love her little, uh, be, being a massive Tolkien fan, I love that she casts a few versions mm-hmm. of Tolkien for everything he's done with elves. <laughs> <laughs> everything, or everything has been allowed yes. to happen with elves because of him. Um,
2: but I also really do like that. So the next book after the caseworker is the Count of Monte Cristo, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because she's sort of trying to guide this teenager to you know stick with it, stick with life and all things that is making you happy, and just you know try and get through this. Hopefully, you'll end up in a better place. Yeah.
0: Um, all humans summed up in
2: the yeah. Um, and it's also in this section that gave me one of my favorite, uh, lines and scenes, which was, um, its official library policy to report truants to the high school because the school board felt we were becoming a, quote, haven for unsupervised and illicit teenage activity end quote I happen to think that's exactly what libraries should aspire to be and suggested we get it engraved on a plaque for the front door but then I was asked to be serious or leave the proceeding and I don't know that just Mm -hmm. tickled me Um,
0: are we to believe that our main character is relatively recent out of both of her respective schools I think she she came to the library about actually I remember didn't she say she came to the library five years ago I um, do not remember that. I don't but... remember
1: that, but she does, like, present as relatively young.
0: i find that again. <laughs>
1: uh,
0: that's what Agnes told me five years ago when I first started at Maysville. There you go. Yeah. So, yeah. She, she is relatively, nice relatively early on in her career still, and it, it reflects that. She's still very much butting against up, up, up against the policies that she thinks are actively stifling what their purpose should be.
1: Mm-hmm. And so we actually, in the next section, we get a little bit about kind of what those policies are and what this sort of second order of librarians is meant to be doing, right? Which,
0: which ironically is the Harry Potter section, which uses me. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yes. <laughs> um, yeah, which, you know, it it is this sort of like, as you were saying earlier, BJ, The sort of preservation of certain types of books and certain types of knowledge, right? Yeah. Um, although it seems to be a little bit more of a kind of like, hiding them in the most innocuous place one can think of, um, and then not lending them to people kind of protection.
2: Yeah, I mean, which is sort of the best way to keep it out of the hands yeah. that you don't want. Um, but it's, it's a fun, you know, we get a little bit of a window into the books that are sort of the magical books, mm-hmm. um, which is Guide to Seeking Righteous Vengeance. Um and a witch's guide to falling in love for the first time for readers of every every stage of life and each of these books that she goes through also has a feel or a smell or something to it um, mm-hmm. the vengeance one is slender steel pages in arsenic ink the the falling in love one is smells like starlight in summer when you were 17 and so like
0: can I get a copy of a witch's guide to uncanny baking Because that that's the awesome. one
2: I
1: want
0: <laughs> I want to know what that is <laughs>
1: Um, I, don't,
0: I don't want my muffins to eat me, but just to see it happen would be curious. <laughs>
1: um, so our our teenager eventually does return the Count of Monte Cristo, although it did not seem to have exactly the effect um, our librarian was, was hoping it might have on him. Uh, as she discovers a whole bunch of very bitter, acidic tears at the end of it that are not, as she says, the tears of my favorite character died or the book is over, um, but a sort of jealousy-induced tears, um, which at that point she, quote, panicked and weighed him down with the first three Harry Potters, which is a perfect response to panic.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Of Harry Potter problems, it solves
1: many situations. <laughs> it's fine. So, alright, so we're in a sticky situation with this kid.
2: Yeah, and then I, I would say his situation sort of takes a left turn for yeah. probably the worst because um, basically he stays in the library overnight, presumably to run away or avoid whatever unpleasant things are are happening at home and our our young librarian notices this and sort of knows what's going on and kind of accepts what's going on and uh probably to the chagrin of agnes lets him stay um in the library overnight
1: and that seems to be a direct response to um what happened with this girl that she couldn't help before. This girl we've talked about a couple. T- so, um. this girl, um, from what our kind of um, from what our narrator tells us, and from what she kind of intuits in in her way, is that she had been giving her an increasingly sort of subversive series of books because it seems like she comes from a very particular religious background um, with mandatory virginity pledges and like, knee-length skirts, mm-hmm. um, and so she is feeding her a steady diet of more and more feminist (laughs) literature.
2: Yeah. um, And I actually thought it was a fascinating way to go about this. It to sort of joke about our uh, other uh, podcasts within a podcast that felt like a short story within a short story. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, it gives you a better understanding of the librarian and why she was doing what she was doing, but it was it had a very different feel, at least mm-hmm. to me. Um,
1: yeah, and it was a remarkably sort of nuanced, sort of five paragraphs or whatever um, that tells a really complete story. Bj, you're totally right, um, but I do think you you get a sense of kind of how out of her depth she was in the situation.
0: Do you think she feels in some way responsible for what occurred? I mean, she was, oh
2: hundred percent. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: she was feeding her a steady diet of subversion, and suddenly she realized what. One of the possible repercussions of that could-
2: I don't know that I'd go with that far, but maybe. Um, so basically this uh, older teenager was fed this diet of Orwell, Bradbury, and Butler, and and a Handmaiden's Tale, and then the next time she comes back in, at some point later, she's looking in uh childbirth section and maternity, what to expect when you're expecting, and... The librarian as she says never gave her what she really needed which is a witch's guide to undoing what has already been done a guilt free approach to life and inevitable accidents um, and so I think yes she partly feels responsible but I feel like she more feels like the the right book that right. would she, have helped her wasn't there well,
0: She, mm-hmm. she tried, and she did try to help her with a variety of grounded in the muggle world kind of a, a work. <laughs> Stories of bravery and boldness, planned and Planned Parenthood pamphlets, pamphlets, yeah. Guides to where the nearest clinic was, and the fact that it's six hours away definitely puts it in the south. Um, yeah. But none of those were as you. She had a solution in her hands that could have made this girl's pain and fear and everything else go away in a heartbeat, potentially. But she is bound by the organization she's become a part of, and that this leather-bound tome must be denied the person who needs it most.
2: Yeah, and. You know, and she talks about how there are reasons, like being burned at stakes, that we don't do this. (laughs) Um,
0: She she does say there are practical reasons that we don't let muggles get their hands on this, is that they go and they make religions and then they kill us and then they do all kinds of wars and other stuff. There's a history at play about why they keep this secret knowledge sacred. But you're now seeing the individual cost of that kind of overarching axiomatic policy.
2: Yeah um and basically in the end of this very short five chapter story the you know the books that she's lending this um uh young teenager just aren't doing enough and she ends up committing suicide by poisoning herself and this is sort of where you see a little bit of agnes being a mentor um but also maybe the the seeds of bucking off the the reins of what the order is supposed to do being laying here and then you get the you know i still have the newspaper clipping on my desk or memorial or a reminder or a warning Mm -hmm. and then the boy with the red backpack comes back in
0: considers for a moment as he's hidden under the stacks as agnes has announced the library is closing and she clearly can see what the boy's trying to do what choice does she make? Does she go the go the Muggle path? Does she call Child Protective Services? Does she try to bond with him, connect her own childhood to his, or does she let the lock close and let him experience what the library is when it is alive and awake when there's no one there to? See?
1: Well, we assume it's the last. Although you know, we don't get any real sense of what happens in the library after she leaves. We Sorry. are in a very we are in a very first first person closed perspective. Um, here. And so we don't see this boy again until she comes back the next morning um, to open the lock before the actual opening time so that nobody else discovers him sort of hiding under a desk.
2: Yep, And, you know, he comes out later and um, he's been with his uh, favorite book and takes it out. Um, And she also comes in early basically to try and cover for him, you know, delete Mm -hmm. any of the voicemails or anything else and is also very disappointed that there isn't any and so she she also does it to cover for herself
0: too she's trying to beat agnes there right
2: um and so we get you know we get
1: a little bit of a sense of this boy leaves and our narrator our narrator really has no idea if he's coming back
2: or not um and it's been a while and she says that you know her her sense of the runway Prince has gone faint and blurred mm-hmm. and he's clearly gone for a while and so it sort of seems that like being in the library and spending time with the books deepens her connection with it and the farther they are you know the less the more tenuous it is
0: And why she offers a brief moment of judging of all of us who've never returned a library book over the years <laughs> uh
2: which is actually really funny because um while in champagne uh my girlfriend had borrowed a book from the library and then didn't return it for a really long time. I think she might have before she left, but I'm not 100% on that. And when we actually discussed uh, getting ebooks from the library with a library card, she's like, I don't know if I can go back into a library. (laughs) I feel like they know.
0: (laughs) I'm on a watch list.
2: They have her picture hanging in the back.
0: (laughs) (laughs) If you see this woman reported to the library immediately, well. After a, just a long delay of time, she realizes in a moment that he's at a... That mm-hmm. he's alive, but probably not for much longer. And that what makes him is dying and dying. And seeing this, being imminently aware of it, convinces her to, well, at first, reassess what the point of Count of the Monte Cristo is. Which is an interesting analysis that she, analysis she does. That his, you know, the moral about patience is really bunk. The moral moral is... You need to be willing to be a vengeful mastermind to fuck, to fuck up your life 20 years later. Be prepared for, <laughs> for... You need to be prepared for a vengeful mastermind to fuck up your life 20 years later. Or maybe it was, if you want justice and goodness to prevail in the world, you have to fight, fight for it to nail. And it will be hard and costly and probably you will have to break the rule. Reaching this realization about Dumas' seminal work, she makes a decision for herself that she will risk will, all
2: to do what... With... I will give him the book he needs most. And, and so when
1: he comes back in and he is wandering among the sort of travel ish section
2: travel the practical nomad like essentially getting away mm-hmm. he comes across the the title of this short story which is guide to escape yeah a,
1: a practical pedium
0: of portal fantasies written in the year of our sisterhood 2002 and submitted to the care of the ulysses county public library system i like <laughs> that these texts are individually placed to libraries apparently <laughs>
1: Um, And so this book, as it is meant to, catches his eye Um, and there's a sort of like synthesis that goes on um, within the library um, while she sort of watches and, and wonders what is going to happen.
0: Every book, everything that's alive in the library realizes at the same moment that the perfect match has occurred. As two, as a person in a book that were so desperately separating each other, have finally found each other and the universe is complete. And Agnes realizes it too and immediately realizes who is to blame.
1: (laughs) There there are nostrils flaring in this moment. There's an old,
0: angry Category 1 librarian that has been summoned out of this Category 2 librarian.
2: (laughs) Um, And and so the young librarian basically said, like, well, not says, but, but in her actions says that, you know, look, I have I went the wrong way the last time this happened, and I don't care. I'm going to do what I need to. I'm going to do the right thing and give him the book that he, he wants. And, he, and um,
0: She's basically submitting to the risk of being a rogue librarian, being cut off from their system and having to roam the waste, devoid of the written books, having to essentially find stories on her own. Which... It leads well. Yeah, sorry.
1: Is this like being a hedge knight? This is kind of like being a hedge knight.
0: Yep.
2: A knight errant.
0: (laughs) it's, It's an interesting bit of whimsy in the last line of where I wondered with a kind of detached trepidation what rogue librarians, how rogue librarians spent their time, whether they had clubs or societies, what it was like to encounter feral stories untamed by narrative and unbound by books. And then I wondered where our books came from in the first place and who wrote them. I mean she's realizing she's going to be exiled from the world that she knows, but there's a kind of certain degree of hope in it. She's kind of getting down to the natural original level of where stories come from out in the world.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And which I think we'll that
2: probably, Oh, go ahead. BJ. I was going to say, which we'll probably get a little bit too in our next book.
1: That was exactly the point I was going to make. <laughs> <BJ>. <laughs> um, so at the very end of the story, we are left um, not with, any sort of practical sense of where our teenager has gone or what has happened to him, but we are left um, with the sudden imperceptible rushing and um, the witch's guide to escape abandoned on the carpet open to a page of some sort of foreign city.
2: With a red backpack beside it. But with the red backpack beside it. He has found his other world,
0: and unlike the Chronicles of Narnia, he has no intention of returning back through the wardrobe. More, more, more practically, maybe even a means of doing so.
1: Yeah, I don't know what the... Logic of
0: this? No, the, the oh, book is left book behind. Is. I'm guessing
1: yeah. he's
2: gone. Yep. Yeah. Well. Uh, I think this is a, sort of another one of those stories that is a fun face value. Um, you know, this is the magic that's in in her world, and this is what it is. Um, and and I thought it was a really fun way to end it. That mm-hmm. you know, some of the. The bag that's been sort of weighing him down is left behind and he's free to roam this other world as as has been wanting to since the start of the book. Um, and I don't know, it, it just, this is the exact short story that I sort of always want to read because it's fun, it's funny, it has good characters, it's poignant, it, it sort of has it all. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it has, I mean, it certainly has a very distinct voice that I love. Like, this is exactly the type of voice that I want to read, particularly in a short story. Um, But it kind of in having that voice, too, it creates a real specific sense of place in this library, Um, which I love, too, especially, you know, it. The, the story for the relatively few number of words it has spends a lot of time kind of focusing a little bit on the ebbs and flows of like regular library life when you have the sort of back to school season and the summer reading and um, all of those weird displays that like librarians have to make. Um, to really bad puns. Yeah. Yeah. I love that.
0: In, despite <laughs> the fact we never have the main, we don't get much in the way of the main character's thoughts outside of describing what she's immediately seeing in front of her. We don't see any... Mm-hmm other person's view of this library whatever else i really feel like i know her and i know her world and what what, how she's operating in it the author does so well to do that so quickly
2: i feel like the very early self-description like is very evocative which is you know i don't think that this teenager is going to talk to me you know a young white librarian in her i think it was early 30s with a bunch of tattoos no matter how many tattoos she has (laughs) right uh-huh. And so, like I, I, and given that it's the role of South, and so you, like you really know to a certain extent who this person is. Mm-hmm. It,
0: it also it also takes takes some time to really emphasize. Part of the reason I enjoy fantasy and science fiction so much is that it offers a full fledged defense of the importance of escapism. That. Mm-hmm you know, trying to, escapism, trying to get out of your immediate setting and world you're in, isn't avoiding, isn't trying to avoid your problems or not really confront what's wrong with your life. It's a necessary part of exploring another world and sometimes getting away from the problems in your own. It's not something to be disdained. It's something to be encouraged when it's something a person needs most.
1: Yeah. Um, do you all encounter those people that, um, sort of poo poo you for reading fiction instead of
2: just nonfiction? Um,
0: yes yes yeah i feel
2: like less so um Mm -hmm. than than previously but i also feel like the people that do that aren't like it's like okay well what have you read recently sure like tell me what you like Mm -hmm. and it's sort of like well you know there was a bestseller about you know uh, a biography that i read like two years ago and it's like okay (laughs) yeah that's cool.
1: Yeah, I read the the last Doris Kearns Goodwin book two years ago. And it took me to like that kind of I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. What well, um,
2: and it, it, I think the author does poo poo this person at some point. You know, the the it's people that, that... <laughs> yeah. What? she uses the word escapism, but I think she means fiction.
0: And I I got it a lot more when I was the uh, the teenagers age when I was going mm. through school and teachers or whatever else are looking at me saying, oh, you're reading that? Read some nonfiction. Read about real things. Improve yourself. What are you doing with fiction? Whatever else. And it, Or even just um, what kind of fiction that they were reading. Whatever else. She offers mm-hmm. this one little broadsided. And you really can't do anything for the people who only read award-winning literature, who wear elbow <laughs> patches and equate the popularity of Twilight with the death of American intellect. Their hearts are too closed up for the to seek discovery.
1: I just got out of that world, and I'm really excited that I did. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, I, this does sort of remind me of, um, in high school, I had a teacher who I would say is, you know, vaguely similar to this librarian who never really bothered me for, like, reading in class, which I did in pretty much every single one of my high school classes, <laughs> which... Probably wasn't the best. Um I actually had a couple of teachers that didn't bother me too much. Um, one who at the end of the year was just like I have no idea what you were doing like inside your desk the entire year, but you <laughs> seem to have somehow learned what I was teaching, so I guess whatever. Um but at some point we were I think we were reading like the Crucible of the Scarlet Letter or something in class and I just I'd already finished it, and I couldn't be bothered sitting, having it open on my desk like everybody else, and I was reading some other book that I had with me, and, and this teacher at some point decided, it's like, alright, this is enough, like, you keep reading my... It was English class, so, like, I, and I was reading a book, and so she <laughs> took away my book and, like, put it up on, on, on her desk, and it's like, you, you know, you can have this back at the end of the period. And She like you to she avoid a book? Well, what she didn't know was that happened to be a day that I was carting books from one parent's house to another parent's house. Mm. And so I just pulled out another. <laughs> and
0: what did she do there?
2: Um. So by the end of the period, she had like a stack of four or five books <laughs> on her <laughs> desk. This sounds like a really productive lesson
1: on the Crucible. Um,
2: yeah. I mean, she handed them back and sort of gave me a stink eye and it was just like, really? Like, you can't keep doing this at least not so obviously
0: (laughs) how old were you at this time
2: um ninth or tenth grade something like that bj uh yeah i yeah so um back to to the story at hand um i i also just love that there were just so many fun fun quotes and fun descriptions that that i think were really evocative and there were a couple that that sort of stood out and i think maybe uh It'd be fun to go through some of the, some of our favorites. But before that, I wanted to highlight one and ask you, Sarah, if you felt personally attacked, which was by 9, by 915, I was standing at the door with my NPR toad on my shoulder and my keys in my hand, hesitating. Yes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I, there's nothing to feel attacked about in that. (laughs) (laughs) I feel validated. (laughs) Perfect. This whole story is validating to
2: me. Um, but yeah, sort of, um, I don't know if there was anything else that you guys wanted to go through. Actually, the, there was one more thing that I wanted to bring up, um, which was the, I feel like um, the author, um, Alex Harrow, might have just finished rereading uh, The Count of Monte Cristo, maybe before she wrote this story, very possible. <laughs> or it was somehow like, very forefront in her mind, because it, um, towards the end, we get another uh return to the count of monte cristo which is you know the count of monte cristo is bullshit basically (laughs) if
0: well the lesson it set it claims it's reaching is bullshit it's actual lesson you can get from it is anything but
2: yes which is if you sit back and do nothing nothing's gonna happen right um and so it's very much not just wait
0: it's also to reference old films from our childhood who here has seen the page master with macaulay culkin (laughs)
2: No. Nope.
0: No one has. Nope. It, it it is about a kid lost in library jumping through various books. And I almost wonder if she had a bit of the thought on it because there are some similarities, including with the library, and help guide him through his various explorations. <laughs> it's also cr- interesting. It's also pretty bad. Don't watch it. But you know, it came to mind, <laughs>
1: so I was going through this. I'll just use your description as the sort of cliff notes and move on.
2: You'd, you'd,
0: yeah, you can go worse than doing that. Yes,
2: you might do a better. Uh, Be more entertained by there's an episode of futurama that essentially does that which is fairly um so anyway
0: what 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 more can we discuss i mean it's i very much enjoyed the story it has some wonderful Mm -hmm. quotes has some wonderful character it's very well written and really brings me into the world but as you said it's very on the surface it wants it tells a story it wants it to be told and it wraps up neatly i it, it, yeah. it's, it, it is a breezy delightful 4900 words and I know this because we're both all reading it on apex that delightfully tells you how many words it is
1: <laughs> yeah um, I, I wholeheartedly agree BJ did you have a favorite line in mind that you wanted to put forth
2: um, I, I, I think my my favorite uh, line is is the meeting um, the the uh, school board um, which oh, is yeah Um, It's official library policy to report truants to the high school because the school board felt we were becoming, quote, a haven for unsupervised and illicit Mm -hmm. teenage activity. I happen to think that's exactly what libraries should aspire to be and suggested we get it engraved on a plaque for the front door. But then I was asked to be serious or leave the proceedings. And anyway, we're supposed to report kids who skip school to play League of Legends on our computers or skulk in the graphic novel section. And I just, the whole... You know, that's exactly what it's supposed to be in suggested in a meeting. And it's like, please be serious or leave. I feel like it's just, (laughs) it speaks to me on a very personal level. What about you, Spencer?
0: One of the things I loved was the character of the books. That each of the books yeah. is very much alive and very much has its own desires and expectations. I love the line. And kind of judgy and it's kind or kind of judgy or kind of expecting or kind of proud with itself. Like I like the line, "The Witch in the Wardrobe" is jostling on itself, fully <laughs> expecting it's going to be chosen. I like that the Golden Compass is really smug with the fact that it's got the light, the flashlight smell of three a.m. on it after the kid was reading late into the night so don't
1: do any more of that segment because that is my favorite paragraph in the whole <laughs> story do, re,
0: do that paragraph for us please that's a wonderful um, paragraph
1: so it's early on and this goes exactly to your point spencer about the sort of um both i think the the characters of the books themselves but also this like deep understanding of how books affect us at specifically at particular moments in our lives. And so this is kind of when she is going through this litany of what she's been giving this kid. Um, I snuck in a few others, all pretty old, all pretty white. Our branch director is one of those pinch-lipped Baptists who thinks fantasy books teach kids about devil worship. So roughly 90% of my collection requests are mysteriously denied. A wrinkle in time came back with the furtive, jammed in a backpack scent that meant he liked it, but thought it was too young for him. Watership Down was offended because he never got past the first ten pages, but I guess footnotes about rabbit math aren't for everyone. And the Golden Compass had the flashlight smell of 3am 3 3 on its final chapter and was unbearably smug about it. I just gotten an an interlibrary loaned copy of a kind of Whitney stopped.
0: That that paragraph really tickles me because it really does reflect how I tend to view books as having characters of themselves. Just how how much they mean to me, how much they invoke their own world and how much I associate what I was feeling from them with them going forward and how many years after the fact I experienced them. I personally did enjoy the rabbit math from Watership Down, but I understand that not everyone (laughs) Of course
2: you did, Spencer.
1: (laughs) Um, do you all feel that you had a, a book that you read at exactly the right time in exactly the right situation? Hm,
2: that's a good yes. question. I, I definitely have a handful and mm-hmm. the the worst part about it is there was one that I read in school and like there there are scenes that really stuck with me and I have no memory what the title of the book is <laughs> and I feel terrible about it, but I was also like in third or fourth grade. Yeah. Um, and just, um, I think it was the, the first book that, that I really cried over. Um, and, um, it basically was about this young boy, um, who there, uh, was in, his family was fairly indigent, um, but he ended up adopting a cat. Um, and was basically trying to, like, find money, do odd jobs, and whatever he could to feed this cat that he adopted. And then, um, basically at some point, the, the cat, I think, gets hit by a car or something like that, and I, like, had just lost my childhood cat to that. Oh, no. And it was just, like, it was the perfect book, and it was the right (laughs) time, and it was awful. Yeah. But... Um, but I sort of wish I like knew the name of the book and, but I don't. So, uh, you have one in mind, Sarah?
1: Well, I, I have a lot of books that I know that I have read at the right time in the right situation, um, for really good reasons. But what stick out to me are the times that I read, I guess at the right time in the wrong in the right situations that resonated with exactly the worst parts of me, Mm -hmm. um, that then amplified those parts for a while. I think everyone who read Ayn Rand when they were 17 became a real (laughs) asshole for like a (laughs) two year period. And I fell into that camp Um. And then I was writing my um, undergrad thesis about Gertrude Stein and F. Scott Fitzgerald and I was reading a lot of sort of Fitzgerald and the modernists and the sort of Paris salons and I was just like drinking way too much of writing this thesis because like I had to get it was this it was my Daniel Day-Lewis moment. <laughs> I really I really needed a sort of deep immersion in the part. Um, and so when I emerged from that hangover um that had to stop for a while so I've got I've got some things what what I really sort of think about in terms of books and I think that this short story sort of captures it is I remember and BJ you have called me out on not remembering plot um (laughs) which is fair but there are like just kind of moods and environments of books that I will always associate with um and Mm -hmm. sometimes those are like specific to the books and sometimes those are like really imbued with where I read them Spencer what about you?
0: Yeah, I was thinking about it. I got two. I got two in entirely different ways. Uh, one for me was: uh, Have either of you ever read uh, *Shogun* by James Clavell?
2: No, I haven't. No, but it's been on my like nightstand slash books to read, and for way too long.
0: It, it's ve- it's very good and very solid. But what it meant for me was that growing up, my reading, what I read for so many years was the books that my dad would give me, um, and some of them I loved, and the ones I put down because he wanted me to read all the books that he had read when I was my age or whatever else just so he could talk about them with me because he enjoyed having us share that together. And he'd set down Shogun in front of me he's just he's like, you need to read this. And he set it down and it's like 1,200 pages. And it was like four <laughs> times longer than any book I'd ever even attempted before. And so I'm looking at this nightstand, comparing it to my Spanish dictionary and it's larger than my Spanish dictionary going, uh uh-uh, this, sorry, Dad, this one's not going to work. <laughs> and he said, just try it when, you, when you're going to bed, read a few pages and see what you go with it and I picked it up. And it's historical fiction based on a story of um, one of the initial European and I read about 20 pages in. And for the next two weeks, I stayed up to 3am every day. It it started a trend there, but I would go home. I was going to say your
1: sleep cycle has never been the same since. But but
0: I would go home and I wouldn't want to play on the computer. I wouldn't want to do else. I would just sit down and read the book. That was one of the first books that just grabbed me and would not let me go. And I streamed through the 1,200 through pages, and there was a night at about 2 a.m. in the morning where I had a test of my first period, and I was still reading, through, and I got to the last page. And I was so engrossed, I didn't even realize I was that close to And I finished it, and I put it down, and I felt this just profound sense of loss that I was not out of it. <laughs> and that was one of the books that just struck me in the perfect of where it was wonderful, it was incredible written, it's a great book and it's all right. But for me, it was fully proved to me how powerful and engrossing, how much I got into it and how much I enjoyed it. By comparison, because he would give me books that he enjoyed from like a 30-year period of his life, he would occasionally give me a book that was just not in that moment <laughs> of where he gave me Dune at like age eight. And Dune is a great book, not for an eight-year-old. And so I read like 10 pages, got really confused and put it down. And then like four years later, I'm just going through my stacks like, oh, I hated that, but you know, I'll try it. And I adored it. And it just grabbed me and I read it again three or four times Those going through my team. And it was just very interesting to see that, as you said, Sarah, books have their moments of when they work, not just in reading level, but just what you need out of them. And it was fun to see the moment it didn't work, but how much that moment could
2: still come. Mm-hmm. So, so I have a, a, a terrible question for you guys. Um, cuz it also was recently featured in in a reddit post about um about certain books um when did you read bridge to terabithia
0: me oh i don't i don't remember the, when, I, when i first read it probably maybe like 10 11 something like that
1: i was going to say probably fourth grade
2: yeah so like nine, I, was gonna nine say, I, I think i think earlier yeah. yeah um but but that's that i know i tease you a lot about it spencer but i feel like that's another book that Um, I don't think we even read as a class, but we had like a... I read it
0: because I was required... We had an English program where we were required to read a set number of books and take online tests about them. And Hmm. I picked that out of the library because it had the word bridge in the title. And that's all I knew about it going (laughs) in. And I liked bridges. And so I sat down and read that. And that I was in no state to take a test on that, put it back, and read a different book to take a test on it, because I did not want to have to answer questions about it.
1: (laughs) Spencer, that's like reading Where the Red Fern Grows, because you like plants.
0: (laughs) You know, it's funny you mentioned that. (laughs) (laughs) Similar story, also in the same program. That program (laughs) led me down so many rabbit holes of childhood pain.
1: Oh man, who knew that the summer reading was going to give us all trauma
0: <laughs> i'd luckily I, I came across old yeller but luckily i'd seen the movie first before i went down that road too <laughs> because
2: right, you well, like any... yelling i feel like the. <laughs> <laughs> all
0: right uh, they... anything else we uh, want to
1: talk about here
0: no it was, this is a delightful short story bj thank you for recommending yes it.
1: thank you bj
0: uh later this week we'll be getting to have okay bj having not watched our material are we releasing the harry potter stuff yet
2: yes we are okay um (laughs) it is it is being released i am trying to do a mongle monday release of uh harry potter
0: well this this week we was sorting hat and as per sarah's instructions we'll be taking an online test to see where we are sorted if only we had a magical hat to tell us more easily than that
2: so i was Hmm. gonna say that's the other thing that really amused me and i'm kind of sad that they're not gonna line up um because we are doing the sorting hat next and and maybe another uh chapter but we'll see but there was a um quote in in this short story oh my god this was
1: my other favorite quote and i identified with this so much (laughs)
2: um yeah. yeah i'm not a natural born follower i roll through stop signs i swear in public i land on online personality tests so i get the answers that i want hermione Arya stark joe march and i was just like oh my god this is sarah i do that so much <laughs> <laughs> Um, and so I'm a little sad that they won't line up, that, we'll, that you know, we just essentially had the uh, lying on personality test to get you what you want, Sarah. Um, and we'll be doing so for our uh, Sorting Hat online quiz for our next episode. Sarah, if you would send that around again, please.
1: Yes, I will. No. For the first time.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I thought you already had. Knowing me, I assumed I just lost it, just part, part, part of the course. Uh, after we finish off, um bat, Next week, I believe we're going into Station 11.
2: We planet. are. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, this might be another book where um, I put some more work on Sarah's shoulders and how we're going to talk about it. I'm on it. Um, but uh, Station 11 by uh, Emily St. John Mandel um, mm. is, I, I, and I think I know why you like it, Sarah. Okay. Or one of the reasons. Um, it's very literature laden, I would say it is um, and so we'll probably spend a couple of episodes on that um, and then probably go back to some short stories before we decide it on a full-length novel or just get into a short stories kick where we have to keep reading short stories but we will see yeah,
0: and all, um, at this point all i know about station 11 is the reasons that you guys want me to read it i know nothing else <laughs> about it other than like the back of the book jacket or the the kindle equivalent of the back of the book jacket
2: yeah, and the the only thing that I will say to you, Spencer, is the, the biggest regret I have about the book is the title of the book is not something that you actually get to read, which frustrated me.
1: Yeah, that is a little frustrating. Maybe yeah. somebody will do it someday.
2: Yeah, um, but uh, you can find... Uh, all this and if you have any suggestions or anything like that um, in terms of short stories or books that um, you want to foist upon us, encourage us to read or um, enjoy with you uh, there's a contact us link on the upper right hand corner of our website which is mangumtalks.com and it'd be nice to see something other than uh, penicillin or other similar spam in our comments (laughs) but we'll see (laughs) um and you can find all of our content on MagnumTalks.com, including whiskey on the weekend mangum hoops mangum laughs mangum talks tv and anything else that we uh decide to throw up there and uh, forward to reading some good stories with you
1: Yeah.
2: yeah. all right bye